Before I begin, I, um, with a little bit of conviction of, <laughs> inner conviction of whether appropriate or not from the pulpit or not, I do want to take a quick moment to, to say thank you. This one's going to be an emotional part for me. <clears throat> RGC has been my home, a home I've loved. Marine Corps Infantry is not supposed to cry, but you very well may see this full blown here in a minute. I knew this day was coming for a while. Maybe not the specific day, not the specific circumstances, but I did know. And it's bittersweet today. I am leaving the place I love. And many of you have been very dear friends, have been, we've shared, I, I've, you've put up with my, well, me being me. And that is no small thing. I especially thank the elders for their guidance and wisdom through this process. Um, things have changed through the course of this and it had not been for them both. Um, I think they saved myself and potentially multiple things from pitfalls. And so I do appreciate their wisdom through this. I do want to thank you. I do want to extend my warmest thanks for my time. And I do so greatly look forward to returning, Lord willing, September of 24 for a visit. With that said, we're going to look into Matthew 28, 20. In fact, we're only going to go to the very second half of the verse. But for context, let's not read just part the verses. Let's, let's go back to Matthew 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we live in an age currently where Almost everyone can have a Bible in front of them, your holy word in front of them, and we thank you for this blessing. We, we live in a privileged time. If, if that alone, if that were the only blessing alone, it would be more than most generations before us could even count. But you've gone beyond and so far beyond. Father, as we look at your word today, I pray that you give me clear words, that it may be an encouragement to my brothers and sisters. And if anyone is outside of you, Father, please be merciful. Reach down, touch them. Let your spirit be upon them that they may see your word, your truth. We thank you this and all things in Christ's precious name. Amen. I do sincerely hope that each one of us here has that verse that you go to, that whether it's a promise, whether it's a psalm, whether it's whatever it may be, that I hope that each one of you have that one 
Bible passage, that one Bible passage that it doesn't matter what's happened in your life. It doesn't matter who's passed. It doesn't matter what's happened, who, who has forsaken you, what you've done, what the enemies accused you of that you can go to, that you can go to. And, and, and every single time it, it cheers you up. It, it lifts your spirit. I pray that each person here has that maybe more than one. We're going to cover mine today <laughs> on my last Sunday. So uh, Matthew 28, the last half of 20 says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. My last Sunday here, I wanted to give an encouragement to hopefully not to, that this may be something that you use and maybe whether it's look at this verse different or even your own, maybe tear apart your favorite verse down to its smallest detail. So let's go through this. And by doing this, we're going to look at, we're going to make, break this passage up into three ways. First, we're going to look at the scope of the passage. Then we're going to look at what Christ in fact is promising. What, what is the promise he's made us in this? And finally, we're going to look at how is this going to apply to our daily life? Why do I care? What is the significance? Why do I care if Christ is with me? If that is your last question, I would say that we probably, hopefully that is not the first thing on your mind. So our first step of looking at his promise is to look at the timeline and deadlines. Does Christ put deadlines on his promises? Does Christ put stipulations when he says something to us? Or does Christ say, here is my promise, take it? We're going to start by looking at the last part of the second part of the, of the verse first even to the end of the age. Is this a phrase as a one-off? Is this something that was ever said before? Is this something that is just uh, thrown out there? Did it have any special meaning? Is it an end of a calendar date? It doesn't apply only to the disciples or does it apply to you? Jesus uses the term end of the age three times in scripture. In Matthew 13, 39, 13, 40, and 13, 49. These three verses all, two, the first two are in one parable. The, the one is, the 49 is in a parable immediately following. And, all, and both of these parables ultimately deal with the final judgment, the last day. At that time, the harvest of the harvest, the angels will be sent out to separate the righteous from the wicked for judgment. Christ later explains, as he gives this entire parable, pre preaching about how, the, how the, the, the wheat will be separated from the tares, or the tares from the wheat. And this re resembles the last day, the final judgment. And he later explains this, as, and this is when we see in 39 and 40, Christ specifically sits down with his disciples. And he tells them what this parable means. He breaks this down. And the harvest, he says, is the end of the age. So we can clearly see if, if, if in, in 39 and 40 that Christ is saying when he returns to claim his church, this will be his triumphant return. The entire world will face judgment. And, the, and this will bookmark the end of end of the age. This isn't a random day of the week. This isn't when the, when the last disciple or apostle dies. 
This is until Christ's return, his second coming. It is important to note that there is one second coming of Christ. That Christ is not coming back multiple times. Christ is coming one time to collect his people. And that's what this promise is telling you. When that day comes, he will hold his, this promise until that day. Matthew 24, 3, the disciples are alone with Jesus. And what do they say to him? They say, tell us when these things will happen. And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The disciples have heard this message before. This isn't a one-off. This wasn't, they heard Christ said this one time and they memorized it. Let's, let's face it, the, and I don't think any of us would be any better, but the apostles missed a lot of Christ's teaching while Christ was teaching. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit opened their eyes after his, his ascension to the Father that they got 90% of what Christ was telling them. So end of the age, is not, it's not unreasonable to believe that Christ used this phrase multiple times throughout. What, and while we only have it a few times in written word, it isn't unreasonable to believe that this was said many times. This was a saying of Christ, the end of the age. Jesus is speaking to them about the future, and the disciples are curious to know about what's to come. They, they, they've, they've, they're asking what happens when they have some basic understanding that Christ is going to depart from them. They're not happy about this, but they do understand by this point, he is leaving, he is returning. And the few times that this, this was used, they gathered from this, even his own parables, again, understanding that the end of the age will be his return, his final coming. So is this exclusive to them? Is this, is this message exclusive just to the disciples? Well, how can it be exclusive to the disciples? If he's promising until the end of the age, did Christ not know when his disciples were going to, dis to pass away? Did he not know the day, their last day on this earth? Of course he did. Of course Christ knew. When he promised the end of the age, this wasn't just to the 12 listening to him and their followers. This was to you, Christian. This promise is to you. For you are part of, you are living until the end of the age. Christ is making this as a promise to all peoples, to everyone who would read this, his word. His, and so we can take stock in this, that the disciples understood that the end of the age was not just their timeline. For if it was, for if it was only their timeline, he would have used a different, Christ wouldn't have used or would have used a different terminology. The previous three times, it clearly refers to the second coming of Christ marking the final judgment, where the righteous will be separated from the wicked and we will forever live with our Lord and Redeemer. There's not a mark of one man's life for the fallen world. And since this promise is made by Christ, even to the disciples, again, we all can rest in assured of this, that this is for you. On occasion, you will see that, and this is further proof of, you will see on occasion those who will, who will say, I only read the letters of Paul, or I only read the Gospels. 
The Old Testament isn't for me. As Mike pointed out a minute ago, reading, reading Hebrews, the Old Testament is infinitely valuable. Christ quoted the Old Testament over and over and over. Paul quotes the Old Testament over and over. The New and Old Testament separation is only the birth of Christ. It is not one that has become invalid. Not that now somehow the Old Testament is, is somehow of a less of a, a book of the Bible that you get to skip over. You can't understand Christ without the Old Testament. Isaiah is proof of that. So if, if, if we know that this, is, this promise is made to all generations until the very last day, we can then ask ourselves the next logical question. Okay? So who is this, what does this promise mean? When the Lord of all creation, the Son of God, promises to be with you always, is there significance in that? Does that affect you? That Christ says to you personally, whether you're standing at, with, with the 12 right before his ascension or sitting here at RGC in 2023, does it apply? What does it mean with you? Each and every moment, each and every day is the implication here. Always, it literally translates all of the days. And in, in, in that terminology, in, in, in Greek, in this time of, of writing, there is that, again, that implication that we see that this isn't just a today, a couple days later, Christ is with you. Always is, is not a sporadic thing. No, it's every second of every day. So if he's with us always, can we not have comfort? Not just when we feel like it, not when we just feel like Christ. I'm feeling super spiritual today. I'm feeling super Christian today. Today is my day that I get to, I, I think I'm walking six, six inches from Christ. It has nothing to do with that. It's not based on you. It's based on him. It's based on his promise. And his promise is that he will be with you always. The Greek word with is the, in Greek is meta. It's used 325 times in the New Testament. Meta is a very real sense of the word with. It also can translate into the midst of or among. This isn't hypothetical. This isn't, this isn't a distant off thing. This with is with you. It is, it is we see this multiple times. In th 325 times, we're going to cover four of them. Matthew 1, 23. And they shall come, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated mean God with us. Matthew 9, 11. Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? Eating with Mark 3, 7, Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples. Acts 7, 9, the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him in Egypt, yet God was with him. And all 320 other times Meta is used. 
there's a physical sense to this. There's a very real sense. There is a, a tangibility to the word. This isn't, this isn't a distant off land. We see, we see this with, we see this multiple other times, including even in, 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 in aspects to marriage, into, into traveling with someone, to being amongst them. But we, the problem is we just said that Christ said this is to the end of the age. And Christ isn't standing here. We're not, we don't have the benefit of, of walking Emmaus Road with Jesus. We're in 2023, where most of the world believes that this is all a farce. This is an elaborate hoax. But Jesus did withdraw with his disciples. He was physically with them on the boat. This wasn't hypothetical. The tax collectors really dined. They, they sat at a table, much like we're going to in a minute, and Christ was at the table with them, and they got to ask him. It's an Ask Me Anything series. What do you want to know from the, the Son of Man, the Son of God? Can you imagine sitting at that table, whether you have a full understanding of Christ or not, but you get to say anything you want. I mean, th- this is open. Would we use that time wisely? Again, so this is in the midst of. The, the first time we see, the, the first two examples, we see this, it's in the midst of. Christ is in the midst of people. But then we come to something like, to Matthew one twenty three. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And the Lord Jesus Christ lowered himself to take our form. Christ was physically here. He grew into an infinite. He ate meals. He walked roads. He became thirsty. He got tired. He slept. He made friendships. The Lord of all creation experienced sweat on his brow. He was God, Emmanuel was with us. God was in our presence. You see, in the first century, the the, the skeptics of the first century never once doubted Christ's actual physical physicalness of Christ. They never doubted. You don't see the majority of, you've got the outlier, I'm sure. You have... By and large, the, the critiques and the, the criticisms of that day had nothing to do with whether Christ really was here or not. It was, they did attack and were skeptic of his deity and his resurrection. But unlike today, today what we fight now is, is some, the, the, was Christ really here? Was Christ a myth? And we can look outside of, we can look at contemporary writings of the day. And those temp- contemporary writings, none of those people, none of, his, none of his opposers ever questioned Christ's presence among his people. They never questioned if he actually was born in, in Bethlehem, was a Nazarene. Christ, God was with us. That is not up for debate. It is said, it, scripture doesn't try to defend it, make it explain. It is a proclamation, Christ was here. So again, we're following this with, this meta. There's a physicalness to him. But we're going to switch a little bit now with our last example. Our last example is, is out of Acts 7-9. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold into him into Egypt and yet God was with him. 
Now, we all remember Joseph's stories, and hopefully we've got it fresh in our minds considering we're, Pastor Kyle's taking us through Exodus currently at the moment. This is how they got there. This is what led them to the Exodus. Joseph was what God used to bring his people down there and, what he, and eventually to bring his people out. On a side note, Christ says Exodus is about him. Another, another argument for understanding that we need to, to be familiar with all of God's word. But was God with him? Was God really with him? Did God, was God in the gunny sack that he got stuck into when his brothers beat him and, and, and put him into a sack and sold him into Egypt? Was God really there? Was God really there when he was tempted by his master's wife and he refused to, to lie with her? Was God with him when he was in prison? When he interpreted a dream for the baker and the, and the uh, head cupbearer, was, 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 was God with him? They forgot about him. He interpreted their dream correctly, a gift of God. He interpreted their dream correctly. And what happened? They forgot about him. All of the world. His father, well, his father mourned him. His brothers had forgotten about him. All that he'd known and loved had forgotten about him. Pharaoh goes into a dream and Joseph is remembered. The Lord calls Joseph to people's minds. God was with him. God was as much in that cell, whether you can see him at times or not is irrelevant. You're going to, you're going to what your senses can do. You're an inf- a finite being. To assume that you can always see the presence of God well, to be honest, is, is a little foolish. So was God with him? So how does a slave, how does a, a, a young Israelite get sold into slavery, get thrown into prison, and becomes the second most powerful man of all of Egypt? Does that happen? Is that karma? Is that, what, is, 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 did, did, the, did the tarot cards line up right? God forbid. But what did happen is God was with him. God saw him through. God had a plan and God saw him through. The Lord dictated every single action in Joseph's life. He knew what he was doing. He knew he was going to bring all of Israel down into to Egypt. God was with him. He designed the, te- the temptation. Well, he, he put them in, in those positions or allowed him to be put in those positions, allowed the master's wife to, to tempt him. But God saw him through. This is an interesting kind of support because there's support that you can see and support you can't see. I'm going to do a Marine Corps infantry example. So unlike the movies, not to ruin the movies for you, but one man or five men do not defeat the entire army of any standing nation. I know that that is popular in American culture. I have news for you. Nothing could be further from the truth. But in seriousness, you work as a unit. And when you work as a unit, you're sent into combat. And generally, it can be a four-man team. It can be a 13-man team in, 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 in infantry units. It can be up to a 36-man team, but that's rare. 
but you're sent in. And while you do have other people with you, they're of no, they're of no more help to you than you are of yourself. It is still, it is still another man with, a, with an M16 or M14 now. And the path that you have to set, they set before you, you have to walk. You may not want to walk it. It may be scary as all get out. It may be absolutely terrifying. And if you have sense in your head, it, it probably is. So what do you do? The benefit to what you have in this scenario is you have a battalion behind you. You have a radio, you have a radio operator, you have a battalion behind you that you can call in. If things get out of control, when things go south, you can call in on a radio. And a battalion command, Lord willing, someone will hear you, and they're going to send support. And that support can look many different ways. It can be an airstrike, it can be helicopters, jets, um, it can be artillery fire, depending on who it is depending on what the situation needs. But there is this sense of you can call on support. You can't see the support. Is it any less real? Because you are five kilometers ahead of, four, of, 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 the, of the battalion. Does that mean that they're not back there? Of course not. Of course that they're there. You're going to feel like you're alone because you can't be seen. You're going to feel that you are isolated. It is you, your three other men, maybe less, maybe one's down, two's down, and you're going to feel very alone. It's no different for the Christian. In fact, the Christian, the problem is we're fighting a worst enemy. We're fighting an enemy that's worse than every army evil person that came down the pike since the beginning of time combined. An enemy that hates you. They hate you beyond you can, your, any of our comprehension. They loathe you. They loathe you if you are in Christ because of who you are in Christ. Because they hate God. They hate Christ. And so this is much similar. We can call on to the creator of all, the Lord God who created all things. We get to call on him. That is our air support. That is, that is who we call on. And he is there. He answers the radio. You may not like how he answers. You may not like the support he sends you. That is irrelevant. <laughs> that is completely different situation. He does hear you and he does respond. And, your, and that final response might cost you your life. However, he is with you. You aren't there by yourself. And there's comfort in that. There's comfort knowing no matter how bad the situation is, that you are not the foe that you're facing. It's why we have Ephesians 6, the full armor of God. Much like the infantryman who puts on their armor to go into battle, the Christian must do the same. And one of those battle items is one of those things we have is prayer. We have prayer to call on to God. And again, you may not necessarily get the response you were hoping for. You may not get exactly the time you were hoping for. I was sharing earlier today my, my least favorite uh, growth thing that is patience. Patience. <laughs> 
Patience is, is uh, unfortunately, it will be the thing that, that the Lord works on me until my last day with because I fail 90% of the time. But that doesn't mean he's not there. That doesn't mean that Christ is not there. Jehovah God, the one who created all things, for John, the first John one tells us that the word, that Christ was the very word of God, and if that's true, He is the one who created all things. So when He promises to be there with you, what can He not be there for? What can separate you? As we went through Romans earlier, what can separate you from the love of God? There is nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing you can do in Christ that will separate you. So when Christ says that he is with you, there may, he may, you may not physically see his standing right there. But we have a promise. And promises that God does not expire. It's not on an expiration date. So whether we see, again, whether we see it or not, we have to take into backdrop now when Christ gives this promise to the disciples. When Christ says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This wasn't on Taco Tuesday. This wasn't on some random day of the week. What, is, what did Christ just commission them to do? He just commissioned them to go into the entire world and spread the gospel. How well did that work for them in Israel? Christ was, they were continually under attack. The last time he sent the 12 out in pairs, they were run out of town after town after town. Do, do you not think that they had this in the back of their mind as Christ is saying, go into the whole world? Were they not thinking, huh, wonderful. But he sent them to make disciples and they, uh, disciples of all nations. He assured them that he was going to be with them. Now, these men were used to walking with Christ for three and a half years. That every time that something came up, Christ handled. How many times did the Pharisees and the scribes come, come and, and, and throw accusations or, or, or um, put a hindrance into the ministry? Christ was always there on the spot, giving the perfect answer, the perfect solution, the perfect response. So when Christ says, I'm always going to be with you, we're going to be in a little speculation. Can we not... Right, probably assume that the, the disciples had a really high expectation of, I'm always going to be with you. For he handled that all the time. What Pharisee or what scribe outsmarted the Lord? He handled all of them. He handled all of them beautifully. So when he promises them, I'm going to be with you, do you not think that they had a high expectation of what this was going to look like? Because we know they didn't want him to go. But he gives them the great promise in John, in John 16, 7. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who is the great helper? The Holy Spirit. Amen. 
God's spirit resides in us. If you are in Christ, in you is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for you every single moment of every single day. In heaven, there is no, there is no leave. There is no lunch breaks. There is no nap times that we know of. <laughs> no, but see, we, we, Christ is there. So this promises that he is sending his spirit to dwell within you, to protect you, to guide you. And Christ says himself, this is the better of the options. Christ was on earth. He, he, while he was still God, he still was, he, he had his physical form. He, was, he, he traveled with. But the spirit, God's spirit, can be in every single one of us at the same time equally. We have to ask ourselves, though, for our application, though, we're in a, wor- we at- we're in a world that's getting worse and worse, it seems like. We're in a world where, where we can't define gender, we can't, we, we're mutilating children. We're doing horrendous things. We find each day a new way to do something more heinous. But was it worse? Are we worse? Are we worse than what the disciples faced to the world they went into? Are we really? It's still a fallen world. They were sti- they ki- we don't know for 100%, but we believe 10 of the, uh, 10 of the apostles were, were martyred. They face that. Facing an impeding death for all you have to do is recant is not an easy thing for someone. Many a man, many a woman has, has lied and recanted to save themselves, to save family, to save children. These men did not. Were they really have it that much better? No, there wasn't the internet, there wasn't this, but they were in a world that hated the news no less than it hates it today. Since since being kicked out of the Garden of Eden, man has been no less opposed to God. We live in a world today where we we live in a world where the message, they hate the message that you bring. They hate the very thing you're going to stand for. It can cost you family doing the right thing. But God is with you. Joseph didn't go into Egypt alone and you don't walk into this alone. Paul faced countless persecutions. He was stoned. He was left for dead outside the city gate after being stoned. He was thrashed uh, four times that we know of. But we can be encouraged. This isn't, this isn't to be, we don't want to get, slip into the, the trap of comparison of, of who has it worse. But rather, let us understand that many saints have gone before us. Let us understand that good men and women have gone before us and they have, they, that Christ with them, that they have endured what they've endured because Christ has been with them, because the Holy Spirit has indwelled in them. We need to remember as we're going about proclaiming the truth, that it is going to be a cost. Christ never said that this was going to be an easy task. 
but he did promise to be with you. So as you're proclaiming the truth to the atheist or to, to whomever, you're, confront, you're bringing the truth to someone who's arguing with you because you're not using their pronoun or you're not treating them equitably in their eyes, that they have an inflated self-worth. We're social, we're social creatures. The interesting thing, cancel culture, while we're not going to compare that to martyrdom, is still an interesting thing. Because we are, even the most introvert of us is still born a social creature. You may choose and you may recharge your batteries better by being amongst your, you know, in your quiet space. But God still made you to be a social creature. And you do live in a world where they are going to ostracize you and your family for proclaiming the truth. But that can't stop us. What is that really at the end of the day? What, is, what does that really do? It's going to make you feel less about yourself. It's going to be hard. However, you still can persevere. You still can move forward. There's been many examples inside our own body here, RGC and, and, and out, of, of situations where people have made hard choices and they've paid a dear price. And it's hurt them. But Christ is with them. Christ has sustained them. Christ is with them, for the Holy Spirit dwells in them. Remember from Matthew 10, 25, if they have called the head of the house Bezalbub, how much more will they malign the members of its household? Christian, you are a member of that household. You will be maligned, you will be slandered, you will be mocked. But we have to take these things with joy. And I know that then that is counter, that is counterculture. To take all these tribulations with joy, joy for, for how are we to count suffering? It's nothing compared to the glory of Christ. So we must not shine away, shy away from the hard things of life. We must not be willing to, to sink our head like the ostrich in the sand. And it's hard. It's a hard truth because we don't, we generally want to be liked by other people. We generally have this, whether we're people pleasers or not, or not, we all like to have some form of acceptance from our peer groups. But the good news here is, is that Christ says, no matter what you face, I am with you, even until the end of the age. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He will remember you on that final day. We cannot let our emotions dictate our happiness, our joy, our standing with God. No, brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, has promised to walk with you just as he walked with Joseph, with Paul, with his disciples, with the reformers, with all the saints in between. Have many men not faced hard things? And I dare say we are ahead. Hard things are ahead. If we look at the political, uh, the, the landscape of, in general. So RGC, I would say to you, be encouraged, be of good faith, be of good cheer. No matter how dark the days come, don't fail to be the light in the world. Do not fail to proclaim the truth of Christ. Do not fail to go out, no matter the opposition, 
for Christ is with you. We can rest assured in Christ's words, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And quickly to anyone who is not in Christ, I would beg and plead of you, there is only one way, to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent is often left out of salvation. Acknowledging Christ does you absolutely zero good. The devil himself acknowledges Christ and he will burn in hell. It is the repent. It is the turning from. It is the calling out to God, even because you can't do it under your own power, but he can give it to you. Call unto him this very day. Ask him, beg of him. My personal walk was from hearing the gospel to salvation was 12 years. And I'm not saying I called out to God every single day during those 12. But if you don't see change in your life, don't hesitate. Don't, don't stop calling unto God. You don't know the path. You don't know the path he's laid before you. Call unto him. Receive his love. Receive his mercy. And rest in the words. Be able to, with the rest of the brethren, the brothers and sisters here, rest in the words of Christ that he will be with you always even to the end of the age. Father, I, I do thank you for RGC. I do pray for their, as we, as, as they go about being the light in the world, that you would, you would be ahead of them, that you would continue to shine, not remove the lampstand, that they may be bold in their declaration and proclamation of you, that they may be an effect on the community around us, that the person living next to us is our neighbor, is our mission field. Father, let us never forget that. Let us stay strong. Let us proclaim the word at all cost. Let us not be chasing numbers, but let us be chasing your will and all other things will come. Father, we thank you for the promises you've given us now and throughout all of scripture, that you will never forsake us nor leave us. It's in Christ's name we do pray, amen.